What if I told you there's a way you could be a second shooter at a family session so you can see exactly how the photographer prepares, how they interact with their clients, what they say when they're posing, or when they choose to use fluid motion, what they do when kids might not cooperate or dad might not be in the session. What if I told you there's a way you can see what the gear is that they're using, where they're positioning themselves when they're shooting, what factors they're taking into consideration when they're shooting, what if I told you there was a way you could see what their straight out of camera images look like, and then you could see their editing process too, so you know exactly how they get those start to finish images and those polished ones you see in your Instagram feed. Now what if I told you you could be that second shooter without ever having to leave your house? What if I told you that not only do you get to watch it from home, but you didn't have to remember every single thing you were trying to learn the first time you watched it? What if you could watch and rewatch as much as you wanted? How would that improve your images, your posing, your confidence? Now, what if I told you there is a way you could be a second shooter, not only for one photographer, but 26. That's exactly what you'll experience inside the 2024 online family retreat. Your inspiration will soar, your art will improve, your posing will become more fluid, and your confidence is going to increase so, so much. And honestly, your clients are going to feel so much more comfortable. Head on over to themilkyway.ca slash family retreat. It all gets underway May 29th, and we hope to see you there. So many things that are really good for us get a bad rap. We think, oh, I'm lazy or I'm this... Uh, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be working. Actually, that makes you so much more effective when you wake up. And there's a lot of research around this coming up too. So when you start to, like, we all have the answers. What do you do? If, if you had no expectation, what would you do? For me, it's having like a long bar or mm, reading a book yes. and just mm-hmm. backing away from people for a little while and just leaning into my learning. Like we have, we know the thing that it re-energizes us but we often don't give ourselves permission to do it and this is not about procrastinating all the time and putting things off every day but paying attention to how you're feeling and allowing all emotions and all feelings to be safe instead of being unsafe by saying oh if I'm having a low energy I'm a terrible person I'm unproductive I'm a terrible business owner that is going to make everything worse Welcome to the Art and Soul Show, where we dive into heart-opening chats on photography, business, life, and that messy in-between. I'm your host, Lisa DeJaso, a mom, a photographer, and entrepreneur, and I'll be sharing honest conversations and advice for photographers with insight on mindset, entrepreneurship, and creativity. The goal of this podcast is for you to be able to gain insights and strategies that will give you real results. Because let's face it, having a photography business can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. This is a place you can go when you need a boost of encouragement, a kick in the pants, and inspiration to pick up your camera. This is the Art and Soul Show. Hello, my lovely friends. Welcome back to the show. I am super excited to dive into today's episode. I have Hannah Thanksgiving on. She is a creativity coach. She helps visual artists and creatives find their ability, creativity, and worthiness to create work and art that they're passionate about. She helps people like you and me develop and trust in our creativity to find more joy and flow in the work we love. She empowers her students to be able to confidently communicate the value of their work 
attract clients, and charge what they are worth. I'm so excited to have her on the show today, you guys. Let's dive in. So Hannah, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about. Hi. Yeah. So I'm Hannah and I am super passionate about creativity. I consider myself a bit of a creativity sage. For a long time, I tried to be so involved in really doing all the making of creativity. And I found that I would get frustrated comparing myself to other people or trying to get things to look the way I look when what I was really interested in was the process. Mm -hmm. And when I allowed myself to let go of that and just lean into my strengths, I've found that my knowledge is so useful and so valuable for other creatives making because it enables them to shortcut the process a little. I love that. Um, Now, I love how you left a corporate life to pursue a career that completely realigned you with your creativity. Can you share a little bit about that journey? Sure. So I remember after my daughter was born in those very early weeks with the longest nights ever thinking, what's next? I had worked so hard to be able to come back to work in a part-time capacity so that I could transition. And I knew I had a year ahead of me with just me and my daughter and no income worries. And I could just sort of figure it out. And one thing I knew I didn't want to do was go back to school, like go back to tertiary education uh, that hadn't served me well in the past when I studied design. And I knew I wanted to be involved in some form of human development, human education adult development if possible. And I just went down this rabbit hole of following my curiosity. And I, we, we were talking just before about Austin Kleon's book, Still Like an Artist. And that was mm-hmm. one of the things that came up really early in this journey. And in that book, he talks about an influence tree where you find a, a reader or a thinker or, or a writer or an artist or someone you love and you learn all about them. And then you, you've follow three people that they like and you climb the tree like branch by branch. And so I started recording all the books I was reading this way and I I started to notice pockets of curiosities that kept coming up at time and time again and creativity was one of them, neuroscience, psychology, and I started to get this unique perspective on creativity that started to light the way for the next steps. So Um, when I did go back to my job, I was there for about six months and I started sketchnoting in the park at lunch every day. I'd go out of the office, actually leave that corporate environment and sit in the sunshine in the park and draw for Mm. 20 minutes a day while I was eating my lunch. And that started to shape what was next. I started to invite ideas to come to me, different things that I could do, working for myself, having some flexibility to be with my daughter and so six months after, I I left and started doing this path. I love it. I love it. Now, I know as creatives and photographers, many of our listeners are running businesses as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I know from personal experience, it can be super challenging balancing your right brain and your left brain and finding that balance between creating and innovating and doing that often unsexy work of running your business like hello bookkeeping. (laughs) Can you share your perspective on how photographers and creatives can manage their time and their energy to fill and flow and to avoid burnout? Yeah. This is so interesting, this question of left brain and right brain. Right. And 
one of the things that we're learning mostly is that creativity is actually whole-brained. We need both of those sides in our creative work and it's the flexibility to switch between them that really sets creative people apart. So when we think of left brain or right brain activities, I prefer to use the language of open and um, divergent, so inviting new ideas, connecting ideas together, associations, being really open to receiving more information from your sensory experience. So that's what uh, photographers would be in those modes when they're working with clients, using the camera, really looking for the inspiration. They're, they're taking in all the information about the light, the noise, the trees, the, uh, the smiles, the energy of the people, like all of that is kind of uh, almost subconscious, like filtering in and you're just aware of it all because you're in this receiving mode. And then flexibly switching out of that mode into, okay, well, what's good? What do I want to use about this? This sort of evaluating mode. Mm -hmm. And that helps us to make better decisions in the moment. And that's that flexibility. So it's not just in between, you know, creating and business. We actually do it while we're creating. I love that. By making artistic choices. And then we we especially turn up the volume in that part of the brain when we're editing our images and putting mm-hmm. together our package because that takes a different kind of concentration. And our business activities, of course, need a little bit of creativity too. You know, it takes, a, um, <laughs> it takes an inventive brain to be an entrepreneur and how you like to reach customers and how you like to package your services and that how you even talk about it. All of that is quite creative. It's so true. I I remember years ago, I I remember thinking, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. I'm not creative. And the funny thing is, is, you know, we get so in our head about a definition of what creativity is, that it's really living our lives is incredibly creative. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's why I really like a sort of an unconventional approach to time management for people who do operate in a creative field. Mm -hmm. And so how I advise my clients to do this, so many of them feel frustrated because they don't see the progress. They're like, I love spending, I can just lose track of time when I'm in the moment taking photos or when I'm editing, I just, time just goes away. And then I have all this other stuff I've got to do, but I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so, (laughs) yeah, so I sort of took a step back from traditional time management, you know, time block your stuff Mm -hmm. and um, track your time all the time. And I I started to approach it from a creative process perspective. And I thought, you know, there's some similarities here. And I'm going to start with the creative process part because it makes sense. And I'm going to tie it back into time management. So with creative process, we're not always outputting we're not constantly doing. If we were constantly taking photos, we would miss all the other beautiful parts of, you know, discovering our curiosity. What kind of subjects do we like taking best? What sort of editing software do we enjoy using most? We sort of ask these questions and we explore, right? We don't just take photos with clients all the time. We take photos of things we're interested in on our nature walks or we, we read information and we think, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I wonder how I could put that through my lens. Mm-hmm. And we start creating quietly through just letting our mind wander, through walking, through driving on the highway, having a shower. Like There's these quiet moments of the creative process. 
in the preparation and in the incubation. It's not always just execution all the time. Mm. And these different parts of the creative process take different amounts of energy. So the the executing requires quite a focused energy. Uh, It requires um, chunks of time that really need to be put aside to do that work. And that's usually where we we feel the flow because we can, we finish that work and we go, wow, look how much I got done. I just lost my time there. And then the first part, it sort of almost goes unnoticed because it looks like procrastination. It looks like folding the washing and going for walks and driving to (laughs) town. And, and it's easy to beat yourself up and be like, I'm not creating, I'm not doing anything, but actually there's a lot happening there in our, in Mm -hmm. our brain with our conscious part of the brain, the the thoughts we can sort of hear, we can process five to nine bits of information a second. So that's like the length of a phone number. In our subconscious mind, we can can process in that same second millions of bits of information and it processes in tandem. So that means instead of one at a time, one after the other, lots of things are processing at once. And then when it hits the answer, the right association, it flicks it forward and you think, ah, uh ah, that's what I should be doing. You right? get this insight, right? That spark of an idea. Yes. And for creatives, it's so important to create space for some of this quiet creative process. So how that works in terms of time management is when we acknowledge that our creative process is king and that we have both times of execution that are really focused and times of sort of mind-wandering openness, we can align that to our energy. And Scientists have discovered that there's this thing called a chronotype and it's a wave of energy that that we have through the day that's internal. So it doesn't matter whether it's sunlight or not or what you're doing, we have this sort of pretty consistent wave of energy. So not all hours in the day are equal. You can't just time block two hours and have 9 to, to 11 in the morning be the same as 2 to 3 in, or 3 to 4 in the afternoon, you know. Um, and the wave looks like, it sort of peaks in the morning and then it dips and we've all heard of the three o'clock slump, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then yes. it rises again in the afternoon, yes. evening. And, and those different peaks ha- carry a different energy. So the first one for about 80% of us, so more, if you're a morning person or um, you, you typically, or like a mid-morning person even, after you wake up, when you first wake up, you feel a bit groggy, but then it peaks pretty quickly And there's a good window of time, usually three to four hours, that you're in a high energy state mentally. So that's really good for focused work. Uh, It's good for doing um, analytical work. So if you need to do a morning on your business once a week, Mm -hmm. that's a good time to to look at your numbers, think about where you're going. Um, It's also a really great time to work with clients because most most people are at their peak and we all know if you've like a newborn photographer or something, (laughs) 11 o'clock is much better than sort of four (laughs) in the afternoon. Oh, yes. (laughs) So mornings carry this energy that's really important to protect. And then in the slump, um, it's kind of not really good for anything. You you move your most, your least important work to that mid-afternoon. So that's your administration uh, follow-ups, emails, walking, um, running your kids around to the things that they need to do, folding your washing, getting your housework done and allowing that quiet part of your process to do its magic. Amazing. And then in the recovery energy, it's more of an insightful creative energy. So that's a good time to pick up your tools again for a couple of hours before you get into dinner. And, um, you know, that's 
that's when you might do some editing or when you might do your personal photography or when you might write about your process to put on your marketing blogs or so it's a little bit more of an open energy Mm. and by following this flow it simplifies time management so you move your most important work to your peak energy your second most important work to your recovery energy and then let yourself off the hook a little bit in the middle and (laughs) <laughs> the only caveat for that is if you're a night person. So about 20% of the population are a night person and their energy is reversed. So they have their recovery in the morning, their slump still the same time as everyone else, and then their peak energy is at night. So they tend to do uh, their, their focused analytical kind of stuff. That's that's the kind of photographer you might find editing their pictures well into the night and just being in the zone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely a morning person. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny though, because if I don't go to bed around 10 o'clock, I will find, I always find like learning stuff. Yeah. I will start, I will start, and then I stay up till one in the morning. Yeah. And so I have to stop myself (laughs) um, because I will try to be a night person. Yes. (laughs) And they say a good morning routine starts the good night routine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so true. Yeah. And protecting that morning time is harder than it sounds. It's, oh, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's really easy to get distracted. It's really easy to say yes to things that actually shouldn't be in there. And so if you're going to time block that morning part, that three to four hours of just your most important work, that's worth five or six hours later in the day. It's, mm. it's so, so important to, to discover what that energy peak is for you and just protect it like a mad person. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Do you, Jack London, have you heard of Jack London? Yes. Okay. So Jack London, um, it's, it, well, it's a funny story. I ended up coming across Jack London, ended up surprisingly at his beauty ranch in California. He's been dead for like nearly a century, maybe over a century. Um, but he's, he's just been in my life in different ways. Yeah. But, but he had a morning routine of, he would write 1000 words every morning, mm-hmm. every day. Because you, if you, if you look at even like how many books he wrote in his, you know, he passed away at 40, started writing when he was about 25, 15 years, the body of work that man created is astounding. Mm-hmm. But it's because he had discipline for an a thousand word morning every single day, regardless of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so like it's so important about having a morning routine and fiercely protecting that time. So I think that's so interesting that you talked about that because I was just reading about Jack London <laughs> and that like a week ago. Yeah. So habit. It's so interesting because when we're taught traditionally like time management productivity. We're taught, you know, block your time and then connect with your why and then you'll have the motivation to do it and then there's no no way you should get distracted. But that's a really oversimplification, especially if we don't consider the way the hours aren't equal. And yes. habits in the morning are great because the, the more we can slip into habits, the less decisions we have to make. It's like Steve Jobs used to wear the same clothes every day just so he didn't have to decide what clothes to wear because we have this thing called decision fatigue, where if we're making too many decisions, we start to really uh, decline in the quality of decisions we we make. And that's why you reach for the chocolate late at night or Mm -hmm. um, you break the rules when you're tired. 
And especially as creative people, we can't stop decisions in our work. We need to make decisions to get the right, um, to capture the right images, to make the right editing choices. And I know even with editing, like when I used to do more design I would have habits within the programs, you know, certain orders I would do things and um, creating new layers or creating new filters would kind of be almost automatic. Um, But then there's times that you want to stop the automatic and and make deliberate choices. So Mm -hmm. by having a good morning routine and having some automatic protection around your most important time, it enables you to, to save your decision-making energy for the most important decisions. Oh, I love that. Such, such good. This is such a juicy conversation. I yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I, I love talking about creativity and neuroscience. I love it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I've just found these ways that sort of ground it a little bit, make it practical. It totally um, does. Because it, it, it makes total sense. I personally, two o'clock, my, because my business partner, we often will work throughout the day and she knows, she looks at my face. She's like, it's two. I can tell by the the expression on your face, what time of the day it is. Yeah. She's like, your energy is gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I'm fired up for the first, you know, three to four hours of the day. It's mm-hmm. so true. And there are certain times, right, when we have to push through this. Like we don't have this perfect oh, yeah. world where we have limited blocks. For example, when I got married, I know my wedding photographer was there like, full day and well into like dinner time. She was such trooper. And there are times when we have to kind of do that. But then I didn't get my wedding images for a few weeks and that's when she has control. When do I want to edit this? How can I set up my day around what I need to achieve? And I, I love that she had that process because they were so good. You know, You, you need, like, I honor that time when I hire someone because it matters when they do it. It matters when they pay attention. And breaks are really important too. Like they did this study with um, a judiciary panel in Israel. And so these are the people who were deciding whether to grant bail or not to prisoners. And they found that uh, at the beginning of the day, the chances of getting bail was about 60%. And by just before lunchtime, the chance of getting bail was 0%. There is not any possible way that you could possibly be set free, even if you're innocent, just before lunch because wow. these people are exhausted and their decision fatigue is used up. And then when they had a break and they came back, it bounced right back up to about 50%. So it wasn't quite as good odds after the morning break as oh, it was first no. thing in the morning, but it had like this kind of wave effect. And our work is the same. If we aren't taking breaks and honouring our most important energy, our decisions are losing quality too. And we like to think of ourselves as these perfectly consistent creatures, but we're not. (laughs) We are not. (laughs) And we're not in the most beautiful way. Like we wouldn't want to be perfectly consistent and that goes against our creative flow. But leaning into this and recognizing going, oh, you know, I'm waning here. Things are starting to take longer. I'm starting to feel a little lost in this. I'm just going to take a break and come back to it. I think even acknowledging that you need one can Mm -hmm. be often very tricky, Mm -hmm. Um, especially with having little children and, you know, 
business and marriage and mm-hmm. it almost there almost feels like a bit of a guilty time just having a break. Yeah. And especially I think as creative workers, because there's these toxic myths about being creative, right? You were saying yes. before, I'm not creative, no, I'm not creative. And sometimes there is a resistance to being creative because have you ever heard, you know, if you do work you love, you don't work a day in your life. So if yes. you're working as a as a creative photographer, you don't have permission to take breaks. You should love every minute of it. Yes. Um, you know, and that's an unfair expectation of creatives too. It is yeah. work and there definitely are parts that don't just drop automatically into delicious flow. And there's no reason why people shouldn't do work they don't like. Um, that's a choice, but there's no way you should be punished or punish yourself because you feel guilty about doing creative work. It's very valid and important. We have all sorts of people who have all sorts of desires. We're not all driven to create in the same way. And so when we can see the spectrum and see where we belong, it allows a little more acceptance and then we can learn ways to optimize it. Okay, well, I'm doing this thing. Um, I remember when I first sort of went down this path of am I a maker, am I a learner? I felt a similar kind of myth around those who can't do teach Mm -hmm. as being a negative thing but I am so lit up by teaching and learning and it just happens that I love learning about creating things and so there was confusion for a while but when I started to allow myself to just be that learner like that super curious person (laughs) and acknowledge that my skills can still help makers and that it's wonderful it was really liberating because now there's nothing wrong with me I'm just serving in a way that makes us all as a whole rise more. I love that. I mean, I, I've run, been running a photography studio as well as our online education platform, the Milky Way, for, oh gosh, probably eight years. Yeah. And so straddling having the two companies has been, you know, interesting. I work a lot and I'm busy and it's been interesting sort of because I, I have, I've always felt like I have you know, I'm businessy in one business and artsy in the other. Yeah. When the fact of the matter is I'm artsy in business in both. And, you know, just sort of coming to terms with that. It's yeah. been really interesting. Yeah. Because we're told so many things about what we should be. Right. And as creatives, there are so many contradictions to hold, you know, do work mm. you love. It shouldn't feel like work. Learn yeah. something new, which always feels like work. Mm-hmm. And then there's this oh, creatives are terrible at time management and organization and business. And then have you looked at a creative person? They have the most organization around their color uh-huh. palettes and the, <laughs> the readings that they do. And, um, you know, the, a lot of these myths are completely unfounded, but they they s- seem to sound true because they rhyme or because they're snappy or because yeah. like s- somehow they carry a lot of weight and we, we sort of burden them around and go, well, I'm a creative, so that must be true. But yeah, it is really hard when we're figuring out our identity. And actually, like we were talking about at the beginning, that flexibility between right and left is really what makes us creative. And so yeah. there are bound to be parts of us that go, oh, you know what? I really do actually like budgeting. And I know I'm supposed yeah. to be a creative person, but, <laughs> and, you know, I worked in the finance industry for five years after I finished in my design industry. And I really thrived there because I could flex between both and I could use creative ways of looking at people's situations. So it it is the flexibility of switching between both. It's not 
being creative doesn't mean being only right-brained and so denying all of the left-brained things that you're interested in, the reading, the research, the business, the accounting. If you can balance both, that makes you more creative. I think research is my favorite thing. Yeah. Like I, like I completely, like especially like coming up with questions to ask you for the podcast, I love nerding out on research. Like... <laughs> Yeah. The podcast is probably a really good fit for you too, because you can be like, what do I want to learn more about? Exactly. Uh, This is like basically my school. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, and the questions I'm like, what do I want to know? (laughs) Yeah. And you you can almost guarantee if you're curious about it and this is valuable for you, that your listeners find it valuable too. Totally. I love that. (laughs) Now, can you share with our listeners maybe any advice you might have on managing your energy, you know, on those days when your mornings are getting stolen and how to kind of take that power back? Yeah, yeah. Firstly, any kind of self-judgment will stop your creative flow. So Mm -hmm. when you're having an off day, it's important to slip into self-compassion first, So allow yourself to have an off day. When we talked about the rhythms of the day, that doesn't mean that every day is the same. We still have rhythms through our cycle, especially as women, like we have Mm -hmm. different, um, different hormones and different things happening at different times of the month. So there are days when you just have an off day. Or for example, if you've done one of those massive wedding shoots, you might need to have a couple of days recovery. Some people aren't extroverted to spend time with people all the time. If you've had some really heavy duty parents at a newborn shoot, um, you might need some self-compassion to be like, right, I am exhausted right now. And allowing yourself that instead of judging yourself for it will allow it to pass much more quickly. Um, And you'll also start to, to recognize patterns of ways that you can help to rejuvenate yourself, help to have a nap or a rest. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what do you do at that two o'clock? What, what's your rejuvenation thing? Naps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And see, so many things that are really good for us get a bad rap. We think, oh, right? I'm lazy or I'm this, uh, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be working. Actually, that makes you so much more effective when you wake up. And there's a lot of research around this coming up too. So, when you start to, like, we all have the answers. What do you do? If, if you had no expectation, what would you do? For me, it's having like a long bath or mm, reading baths, a book yes. and just mm-hmm. backing away from people for a little while and just leaning into my learning. Like we have, we know the thing that re-energizes us, but we often don't give ourselves permission to do it. And this is not about procrastinating all the time and putting things off every day but paying attention to how you're feeling and allowing all emotions and all feelings to be safe instead of being unsafe by saying, oh, if I'm having a low energy, I'm a terrible person, I'm unproductive, I'm a terrible business owner, that is going to make everything worse. Oh, that's so, so true. Now, I actually personally go through large periods of times when I honestly believe I've lost all my creativity, that my mojo to pick up my camera is gone. Um, I even avoid sitting down in front of the computer to edit. And honestly, I just want to watch Netflix and just binge it. Yeah. And sometimes I just wonder if my creative spark is even ever coming back. Do you have any advice on those dark times and any ways to bust through or reigniting that spark when you're worried it's not there anymore? Yeah. Part of this may be that identity that you carried along for so long around 
calling yourself not creative. Mm. When we have a deep-seated identity, it affects things that come after that. So there's a ladder called, I think, the... um, the levels model of change, I think it is. Uh, the base level is identity. So the mm-hmm. I am statements. I am this kind of person. I am creative. I'm not creative. And from that flows our beliefs and our beliefs impact our behavior. And our behavior impacts our capability and our capability impacts our environment. And if we try and change just our environment, so you could turn Netflix off and just go and sit at your desk but it probably won't change anything if you still, yeah. um, if you still believe uh, there are times and I'm not creative. So when you want to cause change like this, attacking those bottom levels, the beliefs about what's possible for you and and wh- what you are as a person, who you are as a person, will naturally change the behaviors in the environment. So a way to do that is you can say, "I am a creative person." and I'm having a day off today. Mm. Or I am a creative person and I need a rest. And remember how we talked about the creative process and how there are these quiet moments, it's a creative process. As a creative person, you can't switch that off. You are always creating. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you're binging Netflix, it might be exactly what your creativity needs. There are two different paths in our creative process. So we all do some preparation. The preparation is the learning, the reading you like to do, um, and we prepare in three different ways. We prepare semantic knowledge, so we read things, we learn things in classes, we learn things in podcasts. It's, it's other people's knowledge that we, we imprint. Then we learn our own experience, and that is the people we interact with, the walks we do, the Netflix we watch, all of that stuff feeds into our creativity. And the third is our skills, so we practice our skills actively. And so this preparation is all really important part of creating. The next part is the incubation period. And so with a direct process, the incubation period might be a lot of trial and error. I'm going to try this thing. No, that didn't work. I'm going to try this thing. And sort of trying to figure out a solution by A, B, kind of testing. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a laborious way. And it's, it's a slightly more scientific way of creating. And most of the people I talk to have more of a spontaneous process where in the incubation period, they kind of just need to let it sit and they need to chill out a little bit. And recognizing when you tend to get those aha moments and creating more space for that. So for example, walking, having a shower, uh, mm-hmm. driving on the highway, folding, washing, watching Netflix, things where you're like slightly occupied by habitual kind of routine tasks, but you're not fully giving you focused attention there. That allows your brain to ruminate and to flick ideas forward when you, when you need them. And you can be inspired by watching Netflix and having a chill out. (laughs) It's not always like creating doesn't always hang out in this execution part of the process, but we tend to honor that more because we can see it. We can see the progress it's making. We trust it. And so um, knowing what we've talked about with the brain, you can change your story now from, oh, my, my ideas are never coming back to me to, oh, this is a quiet part of my creative process. I can't see it, but I know it's working. And by changing that story, it will give your brain permission to keep doing that instead of trying to solve the problem of why aren't I creating Right. When we ask, because that's what the brain does. Yeah. The brain does do that. It, yes. Because you start questioning yourself mm-hmm. and then 
naming yourself and labeling yourself all these negative things mm-hmm. and then you just don't even yeah I, I fully go into the cycle <laughs> so questions are the language of the brain and when we start asking questions even if the question is why aren't I doing what I should be doing that is the instructions you're giving your brain to work on and when you give it instructions like that that detracts from your creative process because mm-hmm. it, it's taking bandwidth away um, from the problem you want it to be working on well yeah. you know and so then that's the difference between a subtle chilled out form of creating and procrastination procrastination yeah. looks like judgment I should be doing this but I'm going to do something else or I should be doing that but I'm just going to make a tea first or I'm just going to um yeah. you know it's it's excuses whereas going actually I protected my most important work today. I showed up and I did my morning habits, my thousand words a day, Jack London style um, thing that I commit to. Even if I didn't want to do it, it's not great. It's not like client images, but I showed up and I I did my thing in my most important work. And now I'm not feeling it, but I am creative and I know my brain is working in my quiet creative process. Mm. And you can even give it an instruction if you want to feel a little more productive. Think what's the, what really excites me? Or, uh, or what if everything is going to come to me while I sleep tonight? Or, mm. you know, ask a positive direct question that sets your brain instructions to move you in the right direction. I wonder I what it. my next inspiration is going to be. And, and you might be surprised what comes out of those quiet times. I love it. Have you read Big Magic? Yes. I'm sure you have. <laughs> like the it's like the bible right? <laughs> yes I, I did like that so one good. so good I, I loved the story about um the kiss and how she had had the story yes. and then had to kiss this lady hello and then this lady wrote the story that was almost identical to her story and she was like how is this even possible <laughs> and I just thought it was so interesting how creativity finds us and how um, talking about having a genius instead of being a genius. Yes. You know what I mean? Like Take I the just, pressure I, off. Yeah. Yes. Allow creativity that. to work for you because it wants to and it is always. Like creative thinking isn't special. It's not magical. It's everyday thinking that's been enhanced and developed through practice. These mm. are, we use it all the time. If we have a roadblock on our way to work and we have to find a new route to work, we're using exactly the same parts of our brain that we would use if we had to come up with a new way of shooting a family. That's so funny because um, that's actually what I did this morning. <laughs> <laughs> there was construction going on and I was like, oh no, I have to get to my studio. What is the fastest way I can get there on mm-hmm. a route I haven't taken before? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's creative. And so we think that creativity is this like divine inspiration and sometimes it is or sometimes it feels that way. And I love stories that, like Elizabeth Gilbert writes in Big Magic because it gives us something outside of ourselves which takes the pressure and judgment off. And if you, it, and it's part of that story. We were talking before about changing your story that your creativity is always working. And Elizabeth Gilbert's version of that is inspiration always wants to work with you. It always wants to collaborate with you. Whether you're sitting there watching Netflix or editing your photos, inspiration's knocking and you have to, quietly invite it Mm. and when you're judging and in a process of telling yourself you should do stuff or um, comparing yourself to others 
you're blocking off the ability for inspiration to collaborate with you. Yeah. It's so, so true. Part, part of my job is actually looking at the work of many, many, many amazing photographers. And I find personally sometimes it's really easy to get in my own head of comparing and judging. Mm-hmm. And then I stop my own creativity because I'm like, well, why am I going to try? It's never going to be as good. So I may as well not do anything, which is so silly because I love to create. Yes. <laughs> Any idea, like any tips on um, getting out of your own head? Yes. Comparison is really tricky because you need, like we need all of us. So a way that has helped me is switching from competition to community. So mm. with with competition in the old world, we used to see, know your competitor, have your unique selling point, be better than them. Yeah. Um, it's a ladder society, right? You're at the top or you're not. Yeah. With community, I get to learn from you. You get to inspire me. Um, and because I know that my creativity comes from not just my semantic knowledge, what other people have taught me, but also my own experiences and my skill set. I know that there's something I can bring that no one else can bring. And I know as a photographer that not everyone can, like there's not, Annie Livovitz can't photograph every single newborn and family in the world. She needs all of you (laughs) to do that (laughs) so that everyone has got those precious memories. It's not like, oh, she can do it better than me or she's got the name so I shouldn't bother. We need all of you. And I guess something that a trap that I fell into that once I saw it, I was like, oh my God, that's so obvious, is that I'm interested in creativity. So I surround myself with people who are interested in creativity. And sometimes it feels like it's the only thing in the world that people do. (laughs) Yes. So I'm like, well, how can I stand out in this pool of only creative people? And then when I learned about all the different ways that people are driven that I have nothing to do with because it's different to me, like the nurturers who actually really want to be nurses and the scientists who want to solve problems and, and focus in that space and the performers who want to be on stage or selling things and making things come alive. And I learned this through a, um, a model called the Sparkotypes. Jonathan Fields of the Good Life Project created this thing called Sparkotypes. Yeah. I actually just, yes, I just, I just, that came in my view like within the last three weeks. (laughs) Oh yeah. I adore it. Honestly, it gave me so much, um, so much perspective that I needed when I did it. Uh, So I'm a maven sage, which means that I'm driven to learn and I'm, I support that learning by teaching what I learn. And I love it. And I learned that there's this whole spectrum and that some people are really driven by internal things like, like creators, people who are driven to make, people who are driven to learn. It's almost a selfish pursuit, but it makes everyone better because we need those people to do that. And it's balanced out by a lot of people you don't see who actually don't want to create like we do. They want to nurture their children and they want to um, look after the sick and they want to tend gardens and do all sorts of things that we maybe aren't that interested in, but we can get sort of tunnel vision and mm-hmm. think that we have to stand out, but actually we're all playing our little part. And there's this saying, when the tide rises, all the ships rise. And your little mm-hmm. contribution, your little drop helps that tide rise. So 
I would say look at it as community and and reframe it from how can I stand out to I'm so grateful all of these people are helping so that we can all do our little part. Um, I'm so grateful that this is raising awareness for the industry. I'm so grateful I can be inspired by all these amazing people and consider myself among them. Uh, I'm so grateful that I get this opportunity to help enhance their work and in doing so my work also enhances when we start to reframe it through gratitude, we feel suddenly way less nervous. It's not a threat anymore. It's part of this beautiful yes. community that we belong to. I love that. I mean, because, and it's, it's what's interesting is I know that our brain like is hardwired to look for the threats yeah. and to, you, you know, and so it's like retraining your brain through gratitude is so, so beneficial. I, yes. lo- I love that you touched on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that's definitely been a learned process for me. Like you said, mm-hmm. we're hardwired to look for the threats. And for a long time, I didn't even realize I had a choice. I thought, yeah, I see this, this is real. How will I ever stand out? And actually sometimes going off the straight path and doing a little bit of wandering and exploring different interests and then coming back Mm -hmm. to your pursuit is exactly the thing you needed. It's exactly the outside view that sets you apart, that progresses the art, that takes you to the next level. And sometimes if we're chipping away at the old stone wall, it doesn't give us any progress. We need to find a new way around. So um, backing off and being like, this isn't really lighting me up right now. I'm really interested in reading this book. You might find yourself completely lit up by the time you finish that book and can't wait to jump back into your, behind your camera, you know? Completely. Do you listen to Jim Fortin at all? No. Oh, uh, you should find Jim Fortin's podcast. I can't remember what it's called, but it's Jim Fortin. Yeah. And I think you would absolutely love him. Oh, cool. Because he talks a lot about like identity and the be, do, have model. Because we traditionally feel like we have to do something to get what we want to be a certain way. Yeah. And he says it starts with identity of like, what is the identity of the person that you wish to be? And then you work backwards from that way. Yes. But he is just such a smart cookie and works his brother-in-law's a shaman or a shaman and it's just like this very woo <laughs> and create like it just makes me I go for podcast walks every morning yeah and I just I feel like you would totally totally love him oh yeah I'm definitely <laughs> gonna look it up that sounds awesome I always love uh, resource recommendations <laughs> right and just and then I just deep dive mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah now, I want, can we talk a little bit about resistance and creativity? Sure. Because I know this is a huge one for me personally. I get an idea, and then there's this little voice in my head that tells me it's stupid, it's already been done, who am I to do this? What advice do you have to speak to resistance? Yeah. So there is a good book on resistance called The, Art, the War of Art, mm. uh, and Stephen Pressfield, who Stephen wrote, Pressfield, yeah. <laughs> who wrote that book, he he talks quite a lot about resistance and there's some pretty common ones, but I have a little bit of a different take on it. So the general gist of resistance is that it's our brain trying to keep us safe and we need it. We definitely don't want to shut this down. And there's this idea with creative thinkers that we can somehow get to a point, we can improve our skills enough, or we can have so much confidence in an idea that, that somehow the doubt and the resistance leaves us, that we, we are free of doubt. (laughs) And actually that never happens. 
And no. I prefer Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic version of, all right, fear, come along, but you're, you're not in the driver's seat. You don't even get to look at the map. You're just along for the ride. Mm. Recognizing that you're in resistance is one of the hardest things. Sometimes it's obvious, like you said, who are you to do this? And it's like this negative voice. And you can almost be like, yeah. oh, hi, <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I'm just going to try it anyway. And lowering the stakes is often yeah. a good thing. So it's like, well, this isn't life or death resistance. I'm just having a go or I'm just learning this. Who cares if it's been done before? I still need to go through this learning. The more dangerous resistance is the stuff you don't even notice because you're busy making a cup of tea or mm. you you could do it, but this extra episode would be really nice to watch right now. And it's the things that are seductive. They, they subtly feel really nice. They're really rewarding to do. And next minute you realize that you haven't created this yeah. today or you haven't done the thing you needed to do. So depending on what form your resistance takes, and usually it's seductive, usually it's attractive to you, you want to do the resistance. Yeah. Um, that's the most effective and most pernicious resistance. Uh, recognizing what that is uh, enables you to change the habit around it mm. um, and to stack the rewards for doing the creative thing. When it's the negative resistance, like the negative self-talk that I'm why should I do this? It's already been done. It's, it's not that great an idea. No first drafts are, but we need to do that. We need to go yeah. through that process because the worst case scenario is we learn something from it. And the best case scenario is it works out. But yeah. that said, we shouldn't do every single idea that we think of. And our first idea is often not our best idea. So a way to get around that is to say, okay, I've got this idea. That's great. Let's just double check that it's the right one for me and do a little bit of divergent thinking, write down a couple of other similar ideas or mash it up with a, with a random word or find some other way to look at it just to double check that it is the one you want to commit to. And that, that's where we just kind of almost um, making sure we want to invest our resources and our time into this, that it is the thing we want to do. Sometimes we get the start of an idea and it needs to be fleshed out a little bit before we actually land on the one that really excites us. Mm. The other thing that we can do for resistance is really connecting in with our why, our purpose. Um, I have this little model of procrastination, which I call start, and it's almost like a tool to figure out where the block is. And so if you go down the letters, the first one is um, what's my state, my state of mind. So am I am I happy? Am I excited about this? Am I jazzed about it? Or am I bored to death? The T is for time frame. So have I created some deadlines and boundaries? Do I need to make this a little more urgent? The A is for accountability. So accountability keeps us on track and we might need a buddy to collaborate with or a tracking system to keep us accountable and some sort of reward to build our habits. So sometimes we need something outside of ourselves, especially if it's a task we have to do, but we don't really like doing, uh, or something that's important to us. And we just want a, a little extra. So a coach can do this or a friend or a tracking tool. The R is for the reason. So why am I doing this task? Why is it important? If you don't have a reason, it probably isn't important and it can you can ditch it. But if you 
have a good reason that can really help to connect with the motivation for why we're doing it. And the last T is for tiny. So break it down into the most tiny, tiny step. Uh, An example of this is they say, no one just flosses one tooth. Like if you commit to Mm -hmm. flossing just one tooth, you probably do your whole mouth anyway once you get started. (laughs) So what is the, the tiniest, tiniest step? Is it that I just open my computer and get the editing apps open? And, mm. and then what's the next tiny, tiny, tiny step? Like, uh, so if you go through that sort of diagnosis tool, you can usually tell where the block is. I'm not connected to my reason. I'm making excuses. I haven't created urgency around this. I don't have any accountability. Uh, I'm actually not stoked about it. Yeah. Um, and shifting one or two of those things often is the difference between succumbing to the resistance and just getting on with it. Now, what do you do when it's, when it's something that doesn't light you up? Yeah. Um, connected the why. Mm. If, if it's important and it doesn't light, it, light you up, but you understand the importance, you will find a way to do it. Mm. Either delegating yeah. it, so hire someone else to do it, um, for example, accounts, you might find that that's a really great investment. If you're not stoked by accounts, but you have to have your creative business for you, it might take you a whole day to get that together. An accountant, it might take them an hour or two. And so it's worth you booking in an extra shoot that's going to pay for your accountant so that you can do some more oh, creating. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with delegating stuff off, hiring a virtual assistant to help you with some of your stuff once you're up and running. In the early days, you probably will end up doing a lot of it yourself. And your why for that is, I need to learn how my business operates. Or your why for that is, I don't quite have the income yet, but I'm going to work really hard so that I can get the income so that I can reward myself by delegating this. So yeah, having a a strong reason helps you determine if this is something you actually should be putting your attention to anyway, even if you don't want to. And then you can raise your state about it. Because once you've decided, actually, this has to be done, that's just the way it is. I need to accept it. I have to do my invoicing once a month, or I have to do these outreaches to different clients and then you can make it fun. You can put on some music. You can, um, you know, sometimes I put a bit of like sparkle eyeshadow on even before I write like outreach emails, just because I feel good about it. I'm like, Oh, I'm I'm in a pretty good mood now. And I can listen to whatever music I love wearing like Ugg boots or my own Mm -hmm. shoes and, and being like, this is why I'm doing it. I'm working from home. I'm working with my, I get to spend time with my daughter this afternoon. I could be in an office doing the same thing for eight hours a day for someone else in uncomfortable shoes <laughs> and yeah connecting with why I'm why I've chosen to create my life this way and if it's for example say you want you're in the process of transitioning to your photography business and you don't have enough clients yet and you still have to go to work for someone else then you might change the frame and go well I have to do this because I need an investor in my business and this work is the first investment in my business and it helps me to create the time to do my photography in the weekends and that's gonna build if I keep doing this and yeah, yeah. so the why is really really important. Love that. Now what would you say are some simple ways to add more creativity to our daily lives? Mm, more creativity to our daily lives. Creativity is just new and useful. 
So mm-hmm. I would say try new experiences. Go to a class you wouldn't normally do. If you always take photography classes, do a cooking class. If you really like cooking, take an art class. Just add variety to your life. Spend time with different people. Listen to their stories. Travel even locally if you can. Like go for walks in different places. Change your habits. Um, by doing lots of different kinds of experiences, you automatically create new associations. You see the world differently. It's so, so true. I always find when I travel, I miss traveling right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I always come back feeling so inspired, just seeing something new and realizing there are so many people in this ginormous world. Um, yeah. It's, it, yeah, I come, I come back feeling sparkly. Yeah. Now, I think... One thing photographers really struggle with is finding creative confidence. How do you think we can work as creatives to build confidence as an artist? I believe the feeling of confidence comes a lot from the feeling of ease in our Mm -hmm. mental capacity. So when things start to become easier, so we're familiar with collaborators we've worked with or we've built up a skill set so that we can draw on it easily, we don't have to concentrate so hard, we start to feel confident about our ability and our brain really rewards that. It it likes the challenge, but it also really likes us getting to the point where it can put it in implicit memory or habit. So it's easier to draw on, like improvising jazz. They don't consciously think about any notes they're playing. It just sort of comes out and that's where Mm. flow comes from is a comfortable level of challenge and a good base of implicit memory. And so when we feel in flow, we feel confident. The other thing is results. So following up with clients after we've had our shoot with them and getting some feedback, learning on things that we can improve on, and also really paying attention to some of the positive feedback that people say, like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this is such a special memory for me. Uh, Because, and record it and go back to it. Like you said, our brain is trained to look for the things that are wrong it's trained to look for the risks and we often need at least three happy points to every one negative point and online sometimes that can be thousands of happy points to one (laughs) negative troll so oh preach um, (laughs) so uh, like yeah honor the positive feedback seek it protect it and reference it regularly to help you build confidence but mostly Confidence comes from recognizing yourself. So Mm. as you're doing projects, recognize improvement you've made. Go back and look at some of your old stuff and see how far you've come. Take time to recognize yourself at the end of each day, maybe just as you're gathering your to-do list for the next day or thinking about um, take a minute just to reflect on what what are two things that I'm really proud of today. And if that's a habit, you'll start to build confidence in things that you're really good at and things that you really enjoyed. And they become great clues for where you're going as well. Mm, love that. Now, do you have any advice on self-discovery as a creative, on where to start looking to find your joy and what makes you feel creatively inspired? Yeah, I think curiosity is king here. Mm. When you learn you know, how your curiosity speaks to you. Like Austin Cleon's influence tree was really helpful for me. If I just looked at one thing at a time, one data point, I wouldn't have the 
it would seem disconnected. But when I started tracking it through the influence tree, I started to see all these different connections and how they link together. And another way to do this is to experiment. Um, Try lots of things really quickly. So, for example, if you know you really like photography but you're not kind of sure what photographer you want to be, do a newborn shoot, do a family portrait shoot, do a wedding, do a landscape, do a macro, um, I don't know, Beatles study. (laughs) Try um, a whole bunch of random things and then reflect on it. And so rather than committing to one thing for for a really long period of time and then deciding, ah, maybe I I really want to be doing the other thing or waiting for someone else to give you permission to do it or Mm. to see you as special, just try it. Throw, throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks in your area and reflect and sort of do this part really quickly. It's called rapid prototyping. Toddlers do it best. So if you notice a toddler trying to build like a block tower, they yeah. build it, knock it over, build it, knock it over, build it, knock it over, and then eventually they end up with a cool block tower, whereas yeah. adults tend to just build like the one on the box and um, stick with that and go, oh, well, that's pretty good because it looks like the box, but actually it's not the most creative or the most interesting or the one that lit us up the most. And had we just knocked it down a few times and then gone, well, what can I create? What if I only use the blue box? Or what if I build the tallest tower I can and we try a few different things? Suddenly we have this new scope of ways that we can be creative and, and use our own thinking and our voice. I love it. My parents uh, love to cook. They're total foodies. And (laughs) my mom posted the other day, they were making a cake and they didn't have any milk and they didn't have any sour cream. So they used ranch dressing. Mm -hmm. The cake was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I just like, my parents are so like that. They're like, you know, you'll figure it out, try something else. And the worst thing is it's going to fall apart. Yep. And you'll learn. Actually, ranch dressing doesn't work, but now they've learned it does. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Substitute. That's, you know, they say necessity is the master of invention. Yes. And that's kind of true. Like when you when things go wrong and you suddenly are thrown out of your normal habit loop, that's when you get creative, right? You start thinking of a new and novel way of addressing the problem. And you can kind of force that into your life by trying new things or shaking up the model and especially at the beginning, that speeds up the process of finding what jazzes you so much faster. Love it. So my last question is, what are you creatively curious about? Oh, man, I'm so creatively curious. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely curious about the creative process. I love how there's not this cookie-cutter approach. It's not everybody sort of dips in and out of it at different ways. And I love letting and comparing what I learn through books I read to people's own story. At the moment, creatively, I'm quite interested in learning watercolour. I'm learning some watercolour portraits and different ways of using watercolour. And I'm learning to see nature and see things as an artist. So the the way I look at things at the moment is different because I want to pay attention to the shape and how the light hits it and what textures are there rather than just what I think I see, like a leaf. Um, So, yeah, I'm practising. I'm really creatively curious about that and how that will inform my coaching and what I'm drawn to next. 
I love it. So where can our listeners learn more from you? Okay, so I've got my website, hannahfitzgibbon.com, where I blog about creativity, inspiration, and the creative process regularly, at least weekly. And I'm also active on Facebook and Instagram. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. This has been such a yummy conversation. I just loved having you on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Lisa. So my friends, wasn't that a fun episode? So today I would love for you to grab a notebook and do some self-discovery. What are you curious about? What are some things that have piqued your curiosity that maybe you've been putting off with some negative self-talk too? Exploring and getting to know what lights us up can lead to so many new creative discoveries about ourselves and our passions. I'm sending you so much of my light and love today and every day. We'll see you next time. If you love the idea of bringing more of you into your business and brand, but wondering how, take our free quiz at themilkyway.ca slash quiz. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.